0: morning church good to see you today god is good amen it's a joy to worship with you and be together as a family um, to honor our king to grow in his holy word love you very much and thankful for our time together this morning we grab your bibles with me and turn to the last chapter in the gospel of john john chapter 21 Fourteen verses today, Mike. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you are, all that you have done to consider. Your covenant of redemption, your plan for creation. Your patience, Lord, in and through the workings of your creation and the people that you've ordained in generations, in different nations and cultures. Lands and to see and consider your perfect work in history, and how easy it is for us to make it about us to get caught up in our ways, our desires, our preferences, and perspective. We, your creation, are truly guilty of sin and making it about us. And I, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that long to know you and, and to make it about you. To trust you, to learn from you, and that the Holy Spirit would do its work to bring clarity of your word and conviction unto obedience. We've celebrated already today the the joy that it is to know you by your grace, your saving grace, the perfect work of God the Son. And we continue in our gospel celebration, in our just connection with you, our knowing you because of redemption, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would move mightily in us today, that we would continue to be sanctified and to grow, to to continue to grow in our joy of what it is to know you and, and walk with you. Lord, that that we're still so guilty of any day or hour of just losing sight of you. And the joy that it is to to walk with you, to talk with you, to... And I just pray, Lord, that if if we're guilty of routines and customs, if we're guilty of agendas that are very absent of you, God, that today you would use this time for us to redeem just the the little parts of our days, the the daily comings and goings and interactions and gatherings and work and downtime. Father, we know that you are at work and and we long to join you in the eternal things that you're doing. I pray, Lord, for the gospel to be bright, for the, the joy of life with our Lord to be good news on our souls this day. We submit ourselves to you in Jesus name. Amen. John chapter 21 verse 1 After this Jesus revealed himself to the disciples by the sea of Tiberius and he revealed himself in this way. Before we get into how Jesus revealed his resurrected self, again let's dissect our setting here for a moment it says after this this is in reference to the long feast of unleavened bread that has finally concluded in jerusalem where the disciples have been in these last weeks and the time around um, the annual celebration of the passover and then all the happenings of what happened with jesus arrest and and murder and resurrection and the festivities have finished, and so it's time for people to go home and go about their way. And so many leave Jerusalem, as did the disciples, and headed to Galilee. The Sea of Tiberias is another name for the Sea of Galilee, which is the location, the setting of our interaction today in verse 1 through 14. John also tells us here that Jesus would reveal his resurrected self to the disciples here. And we need to be oh so mindful never to miss the wonder and the power of the resurrected Messiah. It's not just a, hey, this is where they're going to see Jesus. No, the resurrected Christ will reveal himself again as resurrected to them in this place. This is so key because if Christ has not been raised, Our faith is futile, and we are still in our sins, is what Paul makes oh so clear in 1 Corinthians 15 17. Jonathan Edwards, a theologian of old and pastor, speaks of the importance of the resurrected Christ in this way, for if Christ were not risen, it would be evidence that God is not yet satisfied for our sins. Now the resurrection is God declaring his satisfaction. He thereby declared that it was enough. What Jesus did was enough. Christ was thereby released from his work. Christ, now as mediator, continues. And we are justified. If Christ is not resurrected, our faith in God's saving grace is futile. If that didn't happen, then what are we hoping in? What are we believing in for salvation? If he didn't even rise to have victory over death, how would we expect to? Without resurrection, our hearts, by his sovereign regenerate, without his sovereign regeneration, are dead forever. Without Jesus' resurrection, his atoning work for our sin on our behalf is not satisfactory, and we are still in our sins and have no hope for eternal life. But praise God, he did rise. And so in the evidence of his resurrection, we rejoice that even in passing words in the opening verse of chapter 21 that he will reveal himself. In other words, he's not dead and rotting in a grave. He is alive. This is the only way to eternal life. Jesus himself said, in chapter 11, verse 25, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Praise God for his good gift of grace. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Look at verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Now let's take a moment to review who each of these guys are, since John takes the time to list them, unlike some of the other places where he just speaks of the disciples being present. I want to review each of them briefly, and as just a special note of context, I want to remind you how each of them died. And and the reason why for that is, These guys are about to be sent out to do an amazing work for the launch of the church that we now are part of today. Their faithful testimony and discipleship and ongoing work in the kingdom is critical. And they gave their lives for it, all but one. The first mentioned is Simon Peter, son of John. When the soldiers came to lead Peter to his death, he said, I want to be crucified head down. I'm not worthy to die the same way as my Lord, and that wish was granted. The second mentioned is Thomas, the twin, called Didymus. He preached the gospel in Parthia and in India. There was a, a rage of pagan priests that came against him for this testimony of the gospel, and he was martyred by being thrust through with a spear. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel from Cana, has not been mentioned in John by name since chapter 1, verse 45 through 51, in his first coming to Jesus, Jesus approaching him, him and speaking with him. And he preached in several countries and translated the Gospel of Matthew in the language of India and was cruelly beaten and then crucified by idolaters there. James, son of Zebedee, the first of the sons of Zebedee, mentioned, uh, of the two mentioned. He and his brother John were called also sons of thunder, maybe one of the coolest nicknames in the Bible. (coughs) The scriptures inform us that James was one of the first disciples to die a martyr's death and indeed the only one whose manner of death is exactly known as according to scripture. History uh, gives us context for the others. Acts 12.2 informs us that James was martyred for his faith by way of a sword. John, son of Zebedee as well, James' brother, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the author of our book, the only disciple who did not die a martyr's death. And then two others. We don't know who the two others are. If they are two of the eleven remaining disciples... Then it would have been either Simon the Zealot, Thaddeus, also known as Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but other Judas, son of James, James, son of Alphaeus, Matthew, also known as Levi, Andrew, Peter's brother, or Philip. Uh, Matthias has not yet been chosen to replace Judas iscariot that comes after the ascension so the other two were likely one of those remaining so that that's our seven this passage is known as an interaction of the seven and so the disciples are in a unique time in transition um jesus has died and has risen but he's not yet commissioned them formally and ascended or sent the Holy Spirit to begin the Holy Spirit special work in the launch of the church through them so but what is coming is amazing what is on the doorstep is amazing the work that God will do in and through them is phenomenal the people who will be saved the birth of the church unto the world by which we gather here today. So what do a bunch of fishermen do with a little bit of downtime? They go fishing. Look with me at verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. (laughs) And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat But that night, they caught nothing. Ooh, it's a long night, huh, Steve? (laughs) Verse 2 tells us that a small group of the disciples got together, the seven. Not all the disciples were there of the eleven, but some of them were together, spending some time together, going fishing. The question comes to order: Is do we always have to do everything together? And the answer is no. We come together as a church body on Sundays, and in a large way for many of us at, at our midweek gathering, both on Tuesdays and Wednesday nights. But life together is not is never always all together. Those are our corporate gatherings. But it's an important clarity in the life of the body of the church and the expectations we have. It is simply impractical to do everything together. All together. It's also hard to really know each other if we're always all together. That means... There will be natural gatherings that will occur in the life of the church that are smaller and different and varied. Let me tell you what this means in the life of a growing church. There is a fleshly tendency, I think we have, to want to always be included in the gatherings that happen among the church body. Or to look at certain groups and their fellowship, and how they fellowship well together, and to feel like they have something that you don't. We need to slow down and realize that, number one, envy and coveting is sin. Now, can there be a righteous jealousy for your loved ones? I believe so. God models that in Scripture. But, To turn that into sin, to turn it into envy or coveting is something to be mindful of. So how do we do this well and not become embittered that we're not always included in these smaller gatherings? Realize, number one, that it's, it's just practical that there will be varying degrees of life together. And that's okay. Later in our sermon, we'll see both the ways that the church does life together, both corporately all together and in smaller settings as we look at Acts 2. Number two, don't wait to be invited, but initiate. How are you, as a member of the body of Christ, initiating time with your brothers and sisters? I've heard many people over the years, over the decades, say they feel like there's a lot of church family getting together and they would like to be invited more. And and I just say to that, if you see opportunity or have longing to fellowship with others, then initiate. It's hard to know where one's longings are or the different availability that people have when our body gets larger and larger. So be willing to initiate. Invite. Others to coffee or out for a sandwich or for an evening get together or to go out. One of the best ways this happens is in the context of your midweek groups. It's a it's a it's a perfect way by which you become known and and enter into fellowship with a smaller group of men or women that can know you and walk with you and do life together. Begin by just knowing them, by doing life with them by breaking through those barriers of just seeing them occasionally at church, but to know them and walk with them. These are naturally smaller circles of people where we can be known and know each other. And frankly, we don't always have all the same interest. Part of the reason why the other five weren't with these seven is because they just didn't like the fish. Fish smell and don't like being on a boat, I get sick a lot, or I don't mean, who knows whatever was going on. And and that might be the reality. You know, it might be groups of people in our church that love to play racquetball and other people that say, I don't even like to sweat. (laughs) And that's going to create natural just ebbs and flows of gatherings of interest in different things that we do. Instead of making it about you, my biggest press is to ask you to rejoice in the fact that people in the body of Christ are getting together. Jennifer and I have been on a very unique journey over the last 15 years in the life of this family because much of the people that we've come to love and cherish over the years are people that we began to do life with in a smaller group context in the early years. People, Jennifer and I discipled, and really enjoyed doing life together. And you become friends, and you become close, and you enjoy that. But here's the thing. If disciples are going to be duplicated and the church is going to grow, then a pastor who says, no, I'm just going to keep all these people really close and never let them ever go get to know other people is a church that's going to go nowhere. And so one of the uniquely painful but glorious things that Jennifer and I got to do was to purposefully begin to shut down different seasons of those gatherings and groups and send out disciples to go start meeting with others. And you know what would come as a result of that? All our friends are doing fun things with other people, and we're not invited. (laughs) And there's two ways to respond to that. I can fleshly go, woe is me, and I'm feeling left out, and make it all about me. Or I can say, God, look at what you're doing. Look at how you're at work in our people. Look at the fact that they're getting to know other men and women, and disciples are being made and multiplied. And I pray that that would happen multiple times over. I mean, it's my deep hope that many of us get to raise a generation together, maybe even a, see another generation raised up. Some of you have been with our church long enough to get to see that happen. And it's a real joy. Bill Taylor was with us last Sunday, um, approaching his 89th birthday. So he's lived a little bit of life. And uh, he's been with our church for a lot of years. He's down south with his family now in his last years. And He just said, what a joy it is to see the generations multiplying at this church. See the young ones, to see the young families, and that that's happening. And I I agree, I say praise God for that. But if we make it about us, if we hold it close, if we love to have pity parties and kind of sit back and wind in the corner and do nothing about it, it's just going to eat us up. So I say we rejoice. We rejoice in the testimony of this smaller group of disciples that got together, and we need to rejoice in that happening among each other. It's a good thing. It is the goal. If we keep it all close, that means that there is no multiplying and growing. Maybe you're guilty of slowing down your discipleship journey for the sake of just not wanting to see change happen in your life, that you don't want to see the current group of people you're running with break up. And I would say that's making it about us and not about the opportunity we have to multiply and to grow and see what God wants to do. I'd love to hear from you about your one on one times together. Some of the random appointments that I hear you making to to get with someone and just have coffee or break bread to visit. It's a joy to my heart when I see and hear that happening. I love to see different groups of guys and gals gathering and studying and growing and serving together. To see families fellowshipping and finding ways to uh, vacation and and do those things. Um, the 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 Reitzmas and the and the Childresses went camping just a few weekends ago and enjoyed that time of around the fire. And again, some of you are like, "That's just that sounds crazy to me. Why am I going to pay money to go travel to sit in a camper and?" You know what I mean? I got the luxury at home. Like, so it's just For some, it's just not. But for them, they love it and it's good and there's some fellowship and reconnection and it's great. And then there's so many examples of that happening and different, different things that are happening in the life of our people. We should be thankful that we get to see and hear about the ways by which our family is growing and meeting together. I pray you're rejoicing when you see that the staff is spending time together that our elders and our families are spending time together, that you you would stop and pray for us, and God would work in and through us to be accountable to one another and maturing in the Lord. Finally, some of you are just simply too content to stay distant. You've gotten to a routine where you love our church and attending, but you really are not very well known because you're not really running with other people. People are not doing life with you and knowing the inner workings of your life, the wins and the struggles. And I would say that needs to change to make efforts to be known and get to know others and develop relationships by which we're not alone um, or not known, but that life on life is happening. The beauty that comes with that and what God intends for that to be. How can you initiate better to see that that's happening with your church family Our time together and our unity as the body of Christ are one of the major witnesses we have for a watching world. It's not just selfish that we would do that well. It's purposeful. It's actually one of the major ways that Jesus wants us to testify the gospel. Why? Because people long for authentic community. And because the world is so selfish in sin, it often uses people and then tosses them aside when they get out of them what they want. Church, though, stands out as unique in that we love each other not based on our performance but on Christ's performance. Amen? On the diversity of who we are and coming together. It breaks my heart sometimes to hear people go, you know, what? we're looking for a church. We're looking for people who are like us. That's still a fleshly way of thinking. The church at its best is a bunch of people who are not like you. Older, younger, Economically different, culturally different. That is the beauty of the gospel testimony. I long for our church to become more and more diverse. You walk in here and go, these people are so eclectic that we break out of any molds by which we find unity in uniformity and not unity in Christ Remember Jesus' words in John 13, 34-35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In Jesus' prayer to the Father, the high priestly prayer that we studied in John 17, Verse 20-23, through 23, we also saw him say, I do not ask for these only, his core disciples he had been discipling, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. The, the, those who would believe, that's really includes us. That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Jesus wants the testimony of the gospel to be bright in a sinful, selfish world because the unity of the church stands as a beacon of light very opposite of what the world is. Let us see here in our text today, in John 21, seven brothers in Christ coming together to spend time and see it as a wonderful thing. Look with me at what happens next. It says in verse 3 that they didn't catch anything all night, and while I'm sure they were baffled and bummed, the truth is a bad night of fishing is not bad when you're with great friends in the Lord. Amen? John 21, 4-6. through six. First, they couldn't tell that it was Jesus from afar. Jesus calls out to them and calls them children. This is not a swipe at them, but more of an affectionate sling. Like the English term, sirs or lads, or the Irish term, boys, or the American term, guys. The fact that Jesus asked them what they caught is not to embarrass them in their utter failure to produce a fish all night, but to make central their insufficiency on their own. So in making them answer that they didn't catch any fish, they testified that they have nothing to show for their own efforts for their night of labor. And this is a great reminder in that it, it efforts... the efforts of our flesh are always lacking. Even when they do produce a temporary result or provision, our flesh is still utterly lacking. We need to see how tempting it is to get caught up in doing life in our own provision. We need to see how quick we can set aside our spiritual highs and then just go back to living life. But God is omnipresent with us all the time, everywhere, at work and in every detail, far beyond really even our ability to comprehend. So why would we, his redeemed people, do anything Without him. After Jesus gives them simple instruction as to where to throw their nets, they go from catching nothing to catching so much, they can't pull the net into the boat because it is so full of fish. Wow. What an amazing testimony of the power of God to not only create the fish of the sea, and all the creation we know but to sustain it and control it. This is Jesus way of showing them that success in their ministry to come, all this is on the doorstep of their ministry to come is going success is not going to be due to their own eloquence, their own power of persuasion or anything that they do but due alone to his Sovereign power. So I just ask us, do we miss this too? Because it's a truth we must never lose sight of. The fact that Jesus is the one who by his power provides all that we have and do is a reality that we must see as far more central moment by moment, then we do. One of the interesting points of the gospel narrative, all of the gospel narratives, all four books, is that these professional fishermen never catch a single fish in any of the gospel accounts without Jesus' help. Our right theology and growing understanding of totus scriptura and all that God has taught us should not be surprised by that. What do we do for anything without his help? I mean, just even the concept of like the compartmentalization that we do of There's times where God is present, I'm engaging him and he's at work. And then there's other times where I've like found a way to put him away and I'm just over here doing my thing and I need to be reminded. Like somehow he's not still at work in those moments, dictated by the fact of how much we're thinking about him or acknowledging his presence or not. But here's the thing, we don't exist in this moment or this moment, without the active work of God. He is sustaining us and working in all things. Despite his hatred for sin and his love for God-honoring righteousness, he is at work in all things. So, Do you see the hand of the Lord in all things? It's a question you got to really do business with. Do you see him using hurts and struggles for refining your gospel testimony? Do you see him bringing conviction for sin and a reason for praise in his provisions? So let's observe the power of God in this great provision of his. Think about the power of God on display for the disciples as their net all of a sudden is so full they can't even lift it back over the threshold of the boat again. I mean, Jesus has performed many great miracles throughout our journey in John's gospel. Uh, A few of the most famous ones in the the first half of the book I I decided to highlight for us again. Changing water into wine at Cana in John 2. Healing the royal officer's son in Capernaum in John 4. Healing the paralytic at, at Bethesda in John 5 feeding 5,000 in John 6, walking on water in John in John 6, healing the blind man from birth in John 9, and raising Lazarus from the dead in John 11. So many evidences of the power of God are shown by Jesus in the presence of his disciples. The provision of this massive haul of fish is yet another reminder to these guys of who Jesus is and why they will follow him faithfully. It is his power and provision that draws the attention of John now. This has happened. John's in the boat. And until this moment, no one recognized Jesus. But in this moment, spiritual discernment happens for John and he realizes who it is who told them to toss their net on the other side of the boat. Look with me, verse 7. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. We've seen Peter do this again and again, right? Middle of the storms, he walking on the water, He has called for me to walk on the water to you. He's just so quick, wants to be near the Lord. So John shows spiritual discernment to recognize it's not just a discerning fisherman or a passerby, but it's the Lord. And so quickly points Jesus out to Peter. Peter is a man of action. So he jumps into the water as soon as he throws on his outer garment. And I just love how quick Peter is to long to be near his master? Does your faith in Jesus cause you to long to be near him in the same way? While he's not physically present in your day-to-day activity to walk and talk with him in that physical way, is it your joy to run to him in constant prayer when you see him at work in the littlest things of your day. The same faith and joy to be near him can be a true reality for any of us as we navigate our days. I often catch myself busy with my stuff, with my doing. If you know me, you know I I go hard and fast. And miss often the beautiful opportunity to just really walk with Him. And to realize it doesn't need to even change my pace that I'm good at running. Just being so much more aware of His holy presence. Like a relationship that I just value so much. To just talk with Him. And acknowledge Him in all the little things. That when we might say often to people, Hey, I'm praying for that. That it wouldn't be this bummer thing that we're good at saying and then we actually never made time to stop and do it like it's some compartmentalized thing that's got to wait for later. Why? Because I can just talk with God about it right now and just walk with Him and enjoy His holy presence as I go about my day and boy have a real relationship with Him that's authentic and growing, that's shaping the way I handle a disciplined moment with my children Or an engagement with my wife or a phone call with a contractor for the job or follow-up in ministry or time of study or research. But often all too much, it's like, oh Lord, I'm sorry. You were here with me and I've been ignoring you and I've not been enjoying your holy presence. I want to walk with you and worship you and testify of you in these coming moments. And parts of my day. So, with my brothers in the club Friday night for our Bible study, and we just talked about this. We talked about how there's a God's centrality to everything we do, every phone call you make, that your purpose in the phone call is not just to get done the thing that you're calling them, but it's an opportunity to testify the Lord Jesus to be an encouragement to others and shine the light of the gospel. Every quick errand run into the grocery store to buy a carton of eggs or a thing of milk is a chance to make eternal that moment, to walk and talk with God and just to be aware of who he wants to put in our path. Maybe even not to engage with, but just to pray for As much as it is a joy to be together, it is also a joy to jump out of the boat and to be with our master. Right? They were enjoying their time together, doing the fishing thing that they love, and yet Peter is so quick to go, it's my master, I'm back flopping out of this thing. This is how I picture he did it. Peter's got this radical abandon, right? There's no, there's no beauty or form to anything Peter does. <laughs> Think of, of, of how good we, how good it must look to a watching world just to see us excited to be with our Lord, to pray and to read his word, Just be with him as we drive, as we eat, as we watch football, or anything else we might do. Now, let's look at the last part of today's passage in verse 8 through 14. It's a very special part of John's narrative, in my opinion. And it goes like this. In verse 8, it begins, The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Now they can't get the fish into the boat, so they figured a way to get them into the shore. They, when they got to land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore and full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. End of the testimony of this engagement. I've titled this last section of my sermon, Barbecuing with Jesus. <laughs> because that's all it is. This, th- this is the sermon. This is what God wants us to see here. They had a barbecue. I absolutely love the insight this scene gives us, first into our Lord, and second into what life with Christ while we're still on earth can look like. Notice first how the scene tells us of the Lord's care for his servants, and in it is the concrete pledge that he will supply all they need. They've come in from a long night of fishing by which they've had no no fresh fish caught to speak of and or to eat themselves. But the Lord provides, amen? I mean, how amazing it must have been to see their master tending to the hot coals, the smell of the fresh fish on the fire for them to enjoy. This, This is the good shepherd, church. He is our God who provides for us our every need. Who loves his sheep. Can't help as I picture the scene to think back on David's words in Psalm 23. It's a, it's a passage of scripture that I meditate on and very much enjoy regularly to, to steer my life. And the opening words of Psalm 23, as you know and many of you have memorized, says the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now, sure, some barbecue fish are really good. But see the rest and the satisfaction in Jesus as the true prize here. If, if barbecuing with Jesus, the, 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 the climax of that is the barbecuing part, you've missed the whole point. <laughs> the barbecue's real good. But it's the who Jesus is to us that's the sweet spot. Amen. We need to be sure not to miss the greater provision here. That We only have true rest and satisfaction in this life when it is Jesus who is nourishing and restoring us. Notice that the, the rest David speaks of, under the care of his shepherd, comes lying on green pastures. It's a picture that he paints of noontime grazing. The shepherd leads his flock to this grassy oasis in a spring of fresh, clean water amidst a dry and thirsty land. And here the sheep lie down in restful security of their shepherd. It's restful because they don't have to worry about where their next meal is coming from because he's provided that because they're laying on it. Consider the fact that next week, in next week's passage, just a few verses past what I just read, Jesus is going to commission the disciples to go feed his sheep. And we'll get to that next week. But consider the setting for that instruction. What is he first going to do with his disciples before he commands them to go feed his sheep? He's going to remind them that he is the one who feeds them. Church, the nourishment and the feeding that Jesus gives us is always bigger and better than food. It includes that. While Jesus blesses us with food and care to Live the life that He's ordained for us to have, He gives us so much more for our soul. One of the great gifts of nourishment the Lord gives us is His written word. Jesus said it so clearly in a moment by which His flesh was truly starving for food. He had not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. And in the midst of that context, so it's not like he's full in the belly and says this. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Church, never forget that while food helps nourish us for physical life, the word of God gives us spiritual nourishment and life that never ends. This is what David sees, I believe, in Psalm 23:3 when he says, He restores my soul. Just a few chapters back in Psalm 19, verse 7 through 10, this was what's on David's mind. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Psalm nineteen, seven through 10. So first, we may we must see the Good Shepherd is always with us and will give us all we need on our earthly pilgrimage. Matthew 6, 26. Consider how your earthly father feeds the birds of the air, and if so, how much more he will provide for us. Amen? The second thing we want to see here is the Lord is modeling once again for the disciples why life together is so important think about it jesus is just resurrected and is only still on earth in for a short time before his ascension and his sovereign wisdom in this short window is to slow down with these guys before he sends them out and to have a barbecue the model for the disciples, the value of life together. Life together is both corporate worship, as we're doing here, and different forms of church fellowship, discipleship, and service. We have one of the best windows of this happening so well in the early church in Acts chapter 2. Turn there with me briefly, Acts 2, just a few chapters after where you're at in John beautiful picture of the early church and an essential part of the dna of the body of christ listen and really consider what we see in acts as this reality unfolds in our brothers and sisters in christ acts 2 42 they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. All right, let's stop there for a moment. This is a picture of corporate worship, of the regular gatherings of the saints. They're devoted to their pastor's teachings. The the economy and the, and the system by which Jesus wanted his sheep growingly to be fed the word of God was through the teaching of of his qualified shepherds to divide his word for the sheep and help them grow. That the sheep would be devoted students, not constantly right in their own eyes, but trusting their shepherds. They regularly practice, it says, the Lord's Supper and prayer. It says awe came upon every soul. That, That awe is worship. It doesn't just go into the atmosphere and dissipate. It is is awe, it is wonder, it is is praise God. Uh, An attitude of praise, of thankfulness, of awe came over every soul. Worship together of our King, of our God. The testimony of our lives are seen here the maturing and sanctifying work of God, changing us in every way like they had never had before. It says all who believed were together and had all these things in common. So the believers were together, spending time together, valuing unity and togetherness. Even though the body is very diverse as it is today, they had an amazing common unity in Christ among all their differences to the point where even in the midst of those differences, there's great sharing and commonality and unity. So do you see it? Do you see the church as something far more than a religious service that you attend occasionally or every week, but a life to live together and worship and sanctifying, growing in the word and prayer and testimony, the Lord's Supper Do you see why corporate worship on Sundays is such a vital part of who we are and why God wants us to do this well in our days he gives us? The testimony, though, goes further than that. It goes into another aspect of life together. Look with me at verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So here we see serving. We see them serving others. They gave their lives away for the sake of the gospel. They learned to live on less so they could give away more and make their number one goal in their days, not their vacation package or the new car or the whatever, whatever, but the mission of God and the witness of the gospel to serve those in need was first. Doesn't mean it didn't come with some of those other great things, but it was first for them. Jesus is providing for the disciples In our passage today, he's nourishing them. They're getting good life together. There's a camaraderie with their Lord. He's getting them ready for what's needed in the season to come, that they would go and do likewise. He's serving them. Who's got the apron on at the fire pit? Jesus. He's the one tending to the coals and Burning the meat, as we like to say it today, and got the bread, and he, and he set this table and he's provided for them the fish. <laughs> he's serving them so that they would go and do likewise. Who are you serving? How are you serving others? How are you opening up your life to serve others? Do you count it a burden to give up your time and your money to serve others? Or is it a joy to give up an evening or a weekend or your home to serve others? We got pinched with some last-minute changes in our childcare needs for this last Tuesday night, and the team had to rally with, 20 minutes to go. I needed two more people. So we just got to call in. And I realized as I'm calling, or we're calling you guys, yeah, I'm calling to upset whatever plans you have for 20 minutes from now. Can you stop whatever you're doing and give up the next two and a half hours to come bless the other families and serve? Whoever is going to receive that phone call is going to have to give something up major. And those who did, did. I'm not dressed for it. I haven't eaten dinner yet. I'm out running errands. I have a full agenda of things to do. Okay, I'm on my way. Praise God. Is it our joy to serve others? To have our plans wrecked for the good of the others? Finally, and simply, daily time that the body shares and grows and edifies each other in everyday ways. Look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. It is so simple. They met at church. They met in their homes. They met together along the way. This is the barbecue moment. The breaking of bread together. The coffee shop shop visit. The weekend excursion. It's families getting together. It's one-on-one time. It's knowing and walking with our God family. So listen again to John's testimony of this holy barbecue. John 21, 9 and 10. They got out on land and they saw the charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it. The bread... Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. In verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. In verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And so, where's the lesson, Jesus? This is it. How sweet it is to be with our Lord and each other who are in the Lord. Amen? Church, you must see this as no different than today when we gather one-on-one or in small group settings or double dates or family excursions. It's a sweet aroma of the fellowship of the body of Christ. A redeemed people of different makeups, backgrounds, ages, looks, intelligence, skills, and interest. But we love each other in Christ. And we love being together. To worship God, to study his word, to encourage and admonish each other, to be discipled, and to tell a watching world, look to Jesus. See what he has done and is doing. Jesus didn't have a big lesson to teach them here. The lesson was a barbecue. It was life together. It was a sweet rejoicing in who they were in Christ. Church, God is redeeming us out of our individualism and our retreat from each other to do life together. May we grow in our simple exchanges and see Christ in the daily ebb and flow to walk and talk with him in the flow of life and in the barbecues. Amen? Amen. The next verse in Acts 2, to conclude this section of that passage, says this, that they were praising God, having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's the danger. A church can get really good at barbecuing and never be willing to multiply, to open up what's known and comfortable for the sake of those that God would bring into their path. Let that not be us. Let us be ready to share, to give it away. Either it means less time with each other as God does that multiplication, praise God for his work. I leave you with this. May it be so in our church that we would steward all these things well unto the Lord, unto the glory of God through lives that are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you are to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together and this, this word to focus on, this testimony of this holy barbecue, of your provisions and your, your work in the lives of setting the table for the great work that you would call the disciples to go and to do, giving them context to understand that these things are to continue. And for us today to be reminded, to be reminded of not putting you on the shelf after Sunday ends and getting busy with our, with our to-dos, but really walking and talking with you, praying regularly, feasting for the soul on your holy word. What a joy it is, Lord, to know you, to, to risk, to know each other better, to love, encourage, admonish, and grow together. That our testimony would be bright. That we would not at all make it about us, but it would always remain to be about you and your holy name. So, Father, hear us as we rejoice in you, our great God. As we behold you and, 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 and exalt your holy name. You are worthy of all these things. And for you we do them, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.